Hi guys, and welcome to episode 4 of the Optical View Podcast. On this episode, we have a pro boxer, and somebody who I believe now I can call a friend of mine. His name is Aboken Bokbi, and this is an extremely interesting episode. I hope you guys like it. Make sure you guys tune in to the end because we're going to be doing a big giveaway. I want to give you guys a heads up around the 2 minute and 20 mark. Um, when I was recording this, the Wi-Fi did cut. So what happened is we just restarted it back up. So if it sounds like there's a bit of a pause, we're just going to keep going. Um, we just continued with the question. Everything was all good. Um, make sure to uh, like, subscribe, and share this around. And uh, I'd always love to see some support for a Boken. Right? He is selling t-shirts as well. All right, I will post his Instagram in the description below. Thanks, guys. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hi guys, I am joined here with Aboken Bakbe, right? Uh, he is a professional boxer, and I am super excited for this one. I have been waiting for this one for a long time. Um, and just to start us off, um, how can you describe yourself to everyone here? All right, so um, describe myself to everyone. And that's the interesting thing about it all. Um, you mentioned that I'm a professional boxer, but the interesting interesting thing about me is that I'm not an aggressive or violent type person. I'm very um, calm, relaxed, um, timid, shy to say the least um, type of a person. Um, so, so I'm a very, you know, I'm very analytical type of a person. I like information. I like research. Um, I am a professional boxer, but I also hold, um, a master's degree in clinical psychology. So I do counsel people for a living. Uh, that is what I do during the day. So I am an avid thinker and I am a nurturing type of an individual. Yes. I, uh, I've met you a few times, and gentle giant is the word that comes to mind. <laughs> uh, but a nice one. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. So, so uh, let, let's just start it off from the beginning. How did you get into boxing? Okay, how did I get into boxing? That, um, you know what, it all, it all begins back when I was a youth child. One of the first uh, cartoons I ever saw as a child. So, so back to what I was asking you, right? So yeah, um, how did you get into boxing right from the start? Yeah, so um, I never got to box in um, in high school, uh, but I've always had fast hands. I've I've always been very competitive, uh, very athletic. Uh, I've wrestled people. I've wrestled a lot of people, you know. So uh, by the time I graduated from college. And I was going to start my master's. I wanted to start boxing. So I called my mother, told her I was going to start boxing. That's when I was 23. Um, unfortunately, she was against it. She got my sisters to call me. They, you know, they talked me out of it. By the time I was 27, I had one semester left to complete my master's degree. And it was just something that I had to do, you know. I'm a lover by nature and a fighter by nurture. And I realized that boxing and there's a big difference between boxing and fighting, you know? And unfortunately, how society will have it, there are things that are under my control and decisions other people make are out of my control. So, you know, I am a, 
uh, a person who will defend himself. So I realized that I can't go and just, um, you know, <laughs> defend myself in the streets whenever I have to. I have to find a way to redirect that energy. So I, at 27 years old, I stopped my master's, moved from Alabama to Montreal to start my boxing career. And that's how it all started. Wow. That's uh, that's an interesting move. So uh, there's obviously a couple things there that I, that I want to touch about. But what what drove you to from the move from Alabama to Montreal? Well, um, you have to be very confident when you're a fighter. And uh, I had been in some altercations in my life, and I've competed with people in my life, and uh, you know I was kind of a party animal growing up. <laughs> in my youth so so i and i study people i, I i'm a psychology major but i'm a, I'm a behaviorist I, I understand human dynamics human behavior so a person doesn't have to tell me they dislike me for me to know they dislike me a person doesn't have to tell me they they like me for me to know they like me i can read i can vibe i can feel people so i just got sick of people looking at me as if they could ever you know <laughs> beat me in a one-on-one combat boxing you know any kind of martial art so that's why you know i just had to to start boxing just to to show to myself that you know it wasn't just in my head i could actually at the tender age of 27 (laughs) you know start boxing um, which is a sport that people start when they're really young hence muscle memory and all that but you know yeah yeah and i mean it must have worked out right i mean you did pretty well um Mm -hmm. And did, did you have an amateur career? Yes, yes. I really wanted to start straight pro, but when I moved to Montreal, um, I was advised not to. I was kind of, you know, talked into going amateur. So I went amateur. My first three amateur fights were at uh, heavyweight, which is cruiserweight as a pro. Uh, I stopped all three guys. So my fourth fight, they turned me open, and then I fought a super heavyweight. So from the very beginning, I can't say I had the best guidance in my career, uh, but they turned me super heavyweight. And once you go open, an open fighter, you can't fight novice anymore. So at three fights, I went from a novice fighter, which is supposed to go up to 10 fights. Um, I went to open fighter and I fought Eric Martel, who was the ex-super heavyweight champ. I was actually the only person in the province who showed up to fight him <laughs> in the wow. Golden Gloves. And we fought. And I did pretty good. In the second round, um, my my coach stopped the fight. for There was no apparent, uh, there was no real good reason. Uh, he could say he was trying to protect me or whatnot, but even other people watching the fight, wondering why I stopped. Anyhow, so I had a very interesting, long amateur career that lasted long enough. But I know the first three years of my amateur career, we're in Montreal, and I won the Golden Gloves there. And when I won the Golden Gloves, uh, my third year, I went back to Alabama to complete my master's degree. Uh, and then once I finished my master's degree, then I went back to Ontario, and I continued my um, amateur boxing career in Ontario. I won the Provincials, uh, and I represented Ontario at the Canadian Nationals, where I finished third. Uh, and then I turned pro in 2014, I believe. Wow. How many years was that as an amateur? 
Uh, from 2007 to 2007 years. No, seven, 14, yeah, seven years. Wow. Okay. And, and at any point, did you think that you were ready to turn pro and you realized that now looking back on it, it was smart to wait? Um, you know, I realized that uh, I can't complain or take back the, the path that I took, but I know that what's important in this in this cruel game full of politics, it's important to have uh, a good group of people surrounding you, guiding you, helping you make the right decisions, uh, you know, and when you're kind of doing things on your own, you know, you're kind of out there for, you're almost like out there for scavengers per se. Okay. Okay. And, and did you have to go and get a manager and a management team um, before you turned pro? Uh, no, actually, um, once I turned pro, I got my medicals, got my license, made myself available. And um, the gym where I was training was, um, uh, it was the Grant's, um, was it called? Rival Boxing yep. Gym with Ryan Grant. I was training there, so he had connections, and they were having a fight in Toronto, and they asked me if I wanted to fight, so I had no manager, no promoter. It's just my the coach Ryan who kind of set it up for me, and and that's pretty much how I started. Wow! And uh, how long did you stay at that camp for? Uh, camp? You mean the gym or? Yeah, yeah, the gym. That gym I was at. That gym I would say for maybe a year and a half. A year and a half. It was always tough because the, the commute is important. I worked downtown Toronto. I used to reside in Oshawa. And these gyms are all around, meaning I, t- I trained at Dwight, Dwight Frazier's gym in Mississauga. I trained with RG at, at um, the gym we're talking about right now. That's in North York, right? Yep. Uh, so, I mean, the gyms, uh, it, it was tough <laughs> committing for, but I did that for a year and a half. So after work in Toronto, I would drive to uh, the gym in North York, and that would be a half hour to almost an hour drive. Wow. Every day. Yeah, at least five, six days a week, yeah. Wow, crazy. Um, so so back when you said that, you know, your mom was against it. Yeah. Um, was, there, was there any point that she saw how successful you were that she said, okay, this is great, and, and I'm for it? Uh, you know, sometimes, um, I'm just going to generalize this. Individuals, people will say, uh, what needs to be said in that moment, but whether a person says something, um, it, there's a big differentiation to whether or not they mean it, right? So, yeah. um, for for example, I remember I, I won my first three fights by 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 uh, not by stoppage as amateur. My first loss, my my mother called me and she's like, "So are you gonna quit now?" <laughs> I was like, "Mom, this is not about." Um, uh, winning or losing is about this journey, you know, it's beyond winning or losing. Yes. Yes. Um, and, 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 and t- touching on that, when you said you mentioned you lived in Oshawa, was there any gyms in Oshawa that you, you trained at regularly? Yeah, I actually, um, when I started my amateur career up again, uh, after the masters, I was at motor city. So I was, um, motor cities pretty much, they closed down now. Uh, run by Don Nelson, uh, Big Mike, and others. Um, uh, so they they moved actually. So, but they used to be at by the um, Oshawa Center, by the yep. Walmart, 
And then they moved to, I believe, the board of Whippy in Oshawa to a gym there. Uh, but yeah, they're no longer open. But I was there for, uh, I'd say about a year as well. I was there for about a year or a year and a half. Almost okay. Two years. Yeah. Do, you, do you find it tough to stay at one gym? Well, I have been through so many gyms in my boxing career. It's not tough to stay at one gym. Um, it's just boxing is about learning. You learn so much about life. You learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about people. You learn so much about the fight game and boxing and the sweet science. You realize that there are two dynamics at hand. There's the, the individual, the fighter who's in the ring, and then there's the team, you know, the coach, their ideologies, their work ethics, and 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 they have to come together. So in my career, I've kind of sampled, you know, dabbled my toes into different ponds <laughs> to say the least yeah yeah um what what gym do you train at now right now i am at huff gym where's that huff is in mississauga Saga. so you're back to making that commute well i actually relocated uh i now reside in etobicoke okay so it's about a 16 15 minute drive nice nice a little, little bit better with uh, with that Toronto traffic, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I work um, from home, too, so it's, it, it, I don't have to go downtown to Toronto. Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, do, you, do you ever teach boxing? Yes, I have taught boxing. Boxing is a sweet science. I'm, uh, you know, growing up as a youth, uh, I had a lot of learning issues and impediments, so I've, uh, I have to find ways... Uh, methodologies, fashions of learning, uh, and retaining and maintaining information, problem solving. So because I had such a hard time developing or honing those skills growing up, I actually um, take lighter. I enjoy teaching. So I do, I have taught people how to box before I do teach uh, if and when need be. Um, I actually am planning on starting to possibly soon start doing some boxing lessons, training. My living room is actually a gym. I built it into a gym. So, so, but yeah, that's, that's a work in progress, but yeah, I do, I do enjoy, I do teach boxing or training or staying fit nutrition if need be. Yes, 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 yes. Well, when that happens, I'll have to hit you up. All right. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> um, so, so you mentioned you're a psychologist, right? There's different, as far as I know, I'm pretty, pretty green on psychology, but there's different, um, I guess, pathways of psychology, right? Mm -hmm. um, what do you specialize in? Okay. So I wouldn't say I'm a psychologist. I have the training, the education. I, I can do everything a psychologist can do, except for um, they can uh, administer, well, I can administer tests too, but... Uh, they, they can evaluate and interpret tests and they do publishing and they publish and so forth. So uh, a psychologist is different. I, I'm a psychotherapist, to say the least. Um, I work in EAP, uh, Employee Assistance Program. So we do like in the moment supports, triage, redirecting um, uh, employees who are, who are struggling with uh, any kind of um, mental health issues, emotional issues. Any kind of stresses in life, they call us and, and we provide them the support that they need. Wow, that's awesome. It's, uh, it sounds very community-based. It's, um, it's, 
I would say it's it's a it's a service provided for people who are who are who are employed. So it's 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 a very good and it's it's a service provided for the people employed and their family members. Uh, so yeah, it's very community, very societal, very governmental, very. It's good that EAPs are becoming more popular and more employers are starting to use EAPs because it helps employees, you know, maximize their work potential and find a work-life balance. Wow. Um, speaking about work-life balance, how do you balance between, you know, personal, family, social, and, and of course, um, training? Yes. That is a very interesting um dynamic to say the least uh, because you realize that uh, in life a lot of people all of us as human beings we deal with and struggle with certain levels of, of anxiety you know feelings of stat- sadness depressiveness and you realize that those are core innate feelings and then you look at boxing you realize that boxing is a lot of people will, will label boxing barbaric but but boxing is also core, it's fundamental, it's, it's innate. And you realize that boxing calls on a pool of energy and it all, almost calls on that fight or, well, it does call on that flight or fight. But boxing teaches you how not to flight, but not to fight either. It teaches you to stay in the pockets. You look at when people fight naturally, normally, they kind of throw punches and they're trying to move their head away so they don't want to get hit. But while they're trying not to get hit, they're trying to hit the other person. So it looks like it looks really awkward when you see like people in the streets fighting. But boxing teaches you how to stay in the line of fire and utilize some sort of defensive maneuver to block or even to take a punch to hit the other person back. So you realize that you're going against the body's innate desire to move away from from something that could lead to pain. So I correlate that to feelings of anxiety because before a fight, when you're getting ready for a fight, your body feels very anxious. And it's not even if you're you're very confident, you know you're gonna win, there's nothing that can stop you from winning. The body still reacts because the body still knows that you're going into a situation where it's gonna need to defend itself because the other person's intention is to cause, like, you know, to win the fight, to cause a level of harm. So I feel like when you start training for a fight, you have a fight that's coming up. You get your mind ready, and then you try to balance, like you said, work-life. I work and I have life, but now I'm also fighting. So you're getting ready to go in there and defend yourself, to deal with the anxiousness of it, um, to deal with with what could possibly happen. But then you're also supposed to, uh, you know, go to work and help people struggle with anxiety, depression. And then after that, you're supposed to, you know, live life, talk to friends, hang out with family. So it's a lot of balancing. It's a, it's a huge balancing act, and I feel like that's why fighting sports teach you a lot about yourself. It teaches you how to how to gauge and redirect your energy, your emotions. You you differentiate from anger and and, and being upset and and reacting. You you actually it employ it helps you employ patience. I would say that that the good thing about boxing it, it teaches you patience, and when you have patience, it helps minimize stresses and it gives you a a boundary you can differentiate from work life and i guess in this case um boxing a hundred percent um when it comes to nutrition and diet mm-hmm. um, uh, what is your everyday diet and how does that change if you have a fight or a fight prep coming up yes the diet's very 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 important diet's one of the most important things 
Um, water is, is the number one. Water is very, very important. The body is like 70% plus water. So I know water is a must, a very important thing in my diet. Um, getting sleep, rest is important. Um, eating, I try to pretty much stay consistent. I'm on a new um, healthy lifestyle type of uh, of a road right now. So I've, I've incorporated meditation in my mornings and nights. I've studied, I've done my research on meditation. I feel like meditation is very important. It's very good. Clearing your mind, being able to clear your mind, using your mind almost like a muscle in a sense where the mind works nonstop. Even when you're sleeping, you dream. The, the mind never, ever stops. So people deal with stress. People overthink situations which maximize, you know, their feelings and, and then what they're dealing with. But we don't realize the importance of just trying to, relax and not think about anything. So when you don't think about anything, you actually let your, your mind rejuvenate and calm down and you get a better connection between the mind and the body. But anyways, back to the diet. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, as a child, I used to hate eating um, vegetables. The only vegetables I would eat would be like carrots, celery. Um, can't really consider corn a vegetable, but now I've added broccoli. I've added, I've tried to eat green salads. So I'm eating healthy. I'm eating fruits and vegetables for energy, uh, proteins. Yeah, you have to be very, you realize that when you're, when you're a professional boxer, all the details start counting. They, they start mattering because you realize that what you put in is energy that you can put back out. And it's important to have the right energy. Some foods that you eat give you like a quick boost of energy but it's a quick fix. You realize that boxing is a sprint marathon, so you have to have a good, healthy diet. I normally fluctuate between 197 to 212 pounds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And your diet would stay relatively the same if you had a fighter without? Yes. For me, pretty much. I'm not really a foodie. I, uh, I don't live to eat. I mean, I mean, I don't eat to live. No, I eat to live. I don't live to eat. There you go. <laughs> I like that. I really do. I really like that, that balance there. Um, do you have anything, any tools to help you? Um, for example, I know some athletes use maybe a Fitbit or a whoop strap or a heart rate monitor, or maybe they even just weigh their food. Do you have any tools that you use to help you? Oh, boy, I'm old school. A lot of pen and paper at times. I had a Fitbit before. I loved it. It tracked your sleep. I realized my sleep is terrible. Um, but no, I don't. I don't really track it. I try to uh, to take mental notes. I do need to start journaling. That I gotta get better at that. But for now, I feel like even when you start journaling, the whole purpose and point of journaling it is to make it habitual. So you there's no longer a need to track. It mm -hmm. just becomes second nature. So there's certain things that I'm trying to work into, like. <laughs> my innate self, my innate beings, you know, the battle between, um, uh, there's a lot of battles that the mind goes through, you know, fact versus fiction, perceptual facts versus perceptual fiction, what society pushes, what people believe, how you can prove what you can't prove. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I try to, I try to keep track of, of what I keep track of, but I try to make it a habit when it comes to my nutrition and healthier lifestyles. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you this. How do you know if you're overtraining? Oh, my friend. <laughs> let me tell you something. See, 
one of my big issues, um, I said earlier, I had a learning impediments. One of my biggest issues is um, I've never been diagnosed, but being in the field and living the life that I've lived, <laughs> I have like ultra super duper ADHD. Okay. So I'm very, very, very hyperactive and I have a very high level of energy. And of course, um, I have my genetic mix as well, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm half Ivorian uh, from the Ivory Coast and I'm half Polish. Uh, so I'm very athletic in that sense. So I realized that in high school, I really didn't have a threshold. I can keep going and going. The body's a machine and you realize that if there's passion and the mind is behind it, the body will listen because the body knows that it's going to recover. You have to take a break, you know, but so I pushed myself so much. So I learned about overtraining uh, during those first three years as an amateur. Uh, and then I, I, I found that out again as a professional. Um, you realize when you're overtraining, when your body no longer starts recovering, mm. when you're having problems falling asleep, um, when, you're, when your weight is out of whack, um, your muscles just don't feel the same. When you're, when you're doing like a bench press, you're throwing a punch, there's a snap, there's a pop, there's a feeling that, you know, you're sharp and you start losing that, that edge. And I have overtrained before. And what I started doing when I was overtraining, I started taking ice baths and I had to take like two, three weeks off. And I realized it's very, very important to take time off. You cannot, um, you cannot overtrain because when you're overtrained, the injuries that you can get that I've gotten from overtraining have taken longer to heal. Yep. So it's very important to listen to the body. Now, like, because I'm not a foodie, sometimes I'll train without, you know, really eating too much. But if I feel any dizziness, lightheadedness, I'll have a handful of nuts. I'll have a half a protein bar. Um, so, yeah, it's very important to listen, to listen to the body. Okay. And, and those, those snacks, the nuts and the protein bar, do you carry that with you in your gym bag at all times? You know what? Um, when I am in training, when, when I'm in fight mode, I will always try to keep a protein bar or a protein drink in my bag. I do try to keep something. Um, if I don't keep something with me, I'm more apt to pull over and, and pick something up. Um, but yeah, I do, I do know what works for me. And I do, I do know that, well, for human beings as a whole, I try to eat things that the body takes more time to digest that give you energy. For example, peanut butters, one one of the go-tos for me. I know that if I, for example, I put peanut butter in my shake, it'll hold me down longer. I won't be hungry for a longer amount of time. My my muscles will feel better. So yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I try to keep things with me. If I if I'm going in my car and I can't have proteins or food, I'll take a carrot. I'll, I'll make sure I take a couple. Um, fruits or vegetables and you know it's interesting how the culinary world versus the scientific world have have had a negative positive but negative impact on society when it comes to uh, trust education learning faith and vegetables and fruits when you have for example the bell pepper that is really a, a fruit but you know the culinary world says it's a vegetable you know the cucumber is really a fruit you know what the culinary yeah. world says it's a vegetable and I feel like it plays a role in, in impeding the development of children. I feel like if children were to learn the truth about vegetables and fruits, it would transition children 
into green vegetables a lot. It'd be easier to transition children into vegetables, if you know what I mean. For example, I realized I had a hard time eating vegetables, but when you decipher vegetable from fruit, you realize that fruits are sweet and vegetables aren't as sweet. But if you change the names and you give a child a cucumber, for example, you say, here's a fruit. The child's gonna realize, okay, this is a fruit, but it's not as sweet as mango. It's not as sweet yeah. as strawberries, but it's a fruit. Oh, and it's very watery and it has a different texture. Oh, the skin, I don't really like the skin too much, but you know, <laughs> the inside's good though, the skin's green. Oh, but then later on you start realizing after a while, I'm sick of peeling off and eating off the skin. I'm just gonna eat it all. The kid's just eating the whole, now it transitions. It gives the kid a better understanding and acceptance that certain things that you eat aren't gonna taste sweet or good. So they're more apt to, you know, eat fruits and vegetables. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 100%, right? I, uh, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and I think that starts with education, like you said, at a young age. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'd love to see more of, of oh, schooling, if you will, education on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so with that being said, with all the nuts and the training and everything and, and such, um, uh, how, how much sleep do you require? Because everybody's different, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, especially when you're training, and, and like you said, you have a fight coming up, you'll probably need more sleep, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so when it comes to sleep, I would say, um, uh, when you have ADHD, I'm, I'm a night person, I'm a night owl, so going to sleep, insomnia, you know, that's the issue that I deal with meditation helps <laughs> but and waking up early it's like whenever the sun rises this is clear outside i cannot sleep so i have so sleeping is tough and i realize the importance of sleep and training i realize if i have two three days where i don't sleep very well and i go in sparring i'm lethargic lackadaisical i realize my punches are coming out as well i see things that i can't react like i normally would so i do actually feel the importance of sleep um so I did a lot of research on it, and the research I've, I discovered is that, you know, like we all know, the average human, you know, needs at least minimum six hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Eight hours is optimal for for maximum health, you know, strengthen the immune system. And I feel like if I get eight hours, I can still hold it down. But if I'm getting, if I'm able to get 10 hours, I can't do naps either, but if I'm able to get 10 hours of sleep, um, and that includes just laying in bed, you know, like if I'm able to get eight to 10 hours in sleep, I feel like my body recovers, rejuvenates. I feel like my, I'm less apt to have an injury. Okay. And is there any days, I mean, I don't like to use the word day off, but is there any um, time off that you're doing active recovering from boxing? So maybe a run or like you said, a nice bath or something. What are some methods that work great for you? Mm-hmm. Well, today, for example, is one of those days for me because I realized I've, I've trained for two, three weeks straight without a day off. Uh, I've gone. Yeah. So it's, it's not it's not good to go. You can't go hard every day. That's another thing. I hear trainers when I'm at the gym talking and they're motivating and I understand what they're doing. But you can't tell a person to go hard because every single time, because if a person goes hard every single time, they're less apt to listen to the body. And then your adrenaline kicks in and you have a boost and you're able to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. But then you wake up the next day and you realize what's going on here and you tore this there. You heard that there. Um, but yeah, what was your question again? 
So uh, what do you do for your active recovery days? Active recovery, like today, you know, <laughs> I'm relaxing. I'm going to, I still I, I still stay active. Like I am going to go, um, uh, I went to the grocery yesterday, but I am going to go out and run some errands. Um, I have to force myself not to train today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might take a hot bath later on just to help um, relax the muscles, get more blood flow going, blood circulation, Epsom salt bath. I try to do an Epsom salt bath uh, once or twice uh, a month, you know. Yep. Uh, I stretch, you know, like stretching is very good as well. People people don't realize the importance of stretching. When you stretch, uh, you allow more muscles because, you know, the tendons and their the connective tissues of tennis, not a lot of blood goes through those, right? So so they tend to, to become weaker. But when you stretch, you force more blood to get in there more so it maximizes recovery, you know? Okay. So that's why stretching is very, very, very important. It allows for mobility too, because when you stretch, you allow your joint uh the ability to move to its maximum uh capacity. And then when you walk, when you do things, you're less likely to get injured. So it, it maximizes blood circulation, uh, helps recovery as well. It helps um, break up the lactic acids that may build up uh, from all the workout training, you know, I've done. Okay. Now, now this is a question that uh, I, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I feel a little bit uncomfortable asking, but I have had um, some of my listeners ask me, um, what was it like... Um, when you get knocked out okay. or you get stopped okay? okay all right well that's a that's a, uh, an important thing about why i started boxing too I, I didn't start boxing because i thought i was invincible and and nobody could ever knock me out you know what i mean mm-hmm. i started boxing just uh to show that you know if you can't knock me down or knock me out quote unquote you won't do it again so firstly um i've lost by by KO, but I have been knocked out. Okay, okay. knockout in in the definition of knockout, how I see it, how I perceive it to be, is when a person gets knocked out and they're laying on the ground and they cannot make it up on their feet in time to beat the counts. So I, okay. I know my first the first time in the ring where I got stopped was Ryan Riziki. Um, I was getting up by number seven, so yeah. by the time the ref said eight he stopped even giving me my count and try to use his body to hold me back down but i stood up through him you know what i mean so i didn't yeah i've never been ko'd where i'm out but now when you get um when you when you get hits and you you end up on the floor what happens is a couple things can happen but either which way um your your nerve endings uh, transmit messages and information from the body to the brain so whenever those nerves are um, are at high voltage, when they're really shocked <laughs> by impact, you know, mm-hmm. it it kind of you know when you turn off the TV and it goes, or, yeah. I know a lot of people, um, kids these days, they're not really familiar with that. Back to my day, <laughs> we know a lot about TVs, and, but yeah. So when you get when you get punched really hard on on the chin, for example, it pushes the jaw back to where it connects to the skull. And there, there are a lot of um, nerve nerves that run through there. So it cuts off the circulation. It, 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 so that's what, when you get punched in the jaw, that's like the knockout button. So the person just falls straight to the ground. They just kind of uh, like a sack of potatoes, you know, they just 
getting knocked out. I've never been, I've not, that's never happened to me. Okay. Um, there's another knockout that's when you get hit in the temple and you, it's like the equilibrium, like the person will lose their balance, they'll wobble, and then they'll fall over. Um, that's, that hasn't happened to me either. What happened to me was, um, uh, when you close your eyes at, at the point of impact or before impact, your body doesn't know how to absorb that impact. So, and if that impact lands on your head, it just blacks everything. Hmm. So it's like it, it blacks everything. Boom. So what happened to me was like, you know, the punch came. I didn't see it coming, uh, and my eyes were closed both times. Actually, this happened twice. Both times my eyes were closed, and that's my biggest thing from my last fight till now is I've been working on keeping keeping my eyes open. You know, when the punch is coming, hmm. and I realized how to do it. You realize that if you squint your eyes, you realize that there's a muscle there, and you realize that if you squint your eyes. And and punches are coming, but you hold that squint, you gain more control. So so before you totally close your eyes, you're more apt to go into that squint and hold the squint. So I've worked on keep my eyes open to see the punches coming. So I don't foresee me ever tasting the canvas again. <laughs> but but no significant big headaches after I was stopped. You know, I haven't I haven't succumbed to like a vicious punch where my neck was throbbing my headache i haven't had that happen to me you yeah. know yeah yeah all right now now what about the mental aspect right like right after you know the, the fight is called right mm-hmm. i imagine there's all kinds of uh you know endorphins adrenaline and everything like that what what goes through your mind and maybe it's different each time you know 5 10 15 30 minutes after the fight you talking about a loss? Yes, a loss here, yeah. Okay. Um, for me, I go back to the drawing board. You know, I look I look at my camp. I evaluate what I did right, what I did wrong. Did I cut any corners? Was I mentally prepared? Uh, I try not to give excuses. I try to, I go towards facts. For example, I learned a lot with my fight with Ryan, my first loss. Uh, because the fight weight was at 197. Okay. And my scale was off. Oh, so when I weighed in at the weigh-ins, I was 192. So Wow. Exactly. So now I had to rehydrate from 192. So I got to 197. 197, 198 is what I weighed. So And my last meal was at 6 o'clock, you see. And I didn't end up getting into the ring till after midnight. Wow. You know, so already I was dehydrated. Already I had lost so much weight. So I'm going to tell you something, man. The first punch that that guy landed on me. When your body is dehydrated, (laughs) I researched it, right? I lived it. And because I lived it, I had to research it. What happens is because the body is predominantly water. 70 plus percent, almost 80 some people water. So there's your brain and your skull. Well, it's very fragile because it's protected by a fluid. There's a fluid that, that that's in between the brain and the skull. And that's, that's how you get knocked out. That's how you have concussions, right? When, when the brain moves and touches the skull and, and bruises the, the brain, and that, that's what causes all the issues and injuries. But the water in there, that liquid, that's what prevents it from moving around. So when you're dehydrated, there's less water. There's less fluid in between the, the brain and the skull. So you're more – and that's why cutting weight for MMA fighters or boxers can be – can be very dangerous you know and that's why most most places 
they have in place where you weigh in on a Friday and you fight on a Saturday. Yes. Well, yep. me, you know, my fight was on Saturday. I weighed in on Saturday. So all this happened on the same day. So I didn't have time to rehydrate or anything. And on top of that, you know, four, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, six hours with no food, you know, like yeah. it was ridiculous. So the first punch he landed, sometimes um, we take a punch, like your body, like when you take a really hard punch, your body lets you know that you're in trouble when there's also a tingly in the body. You get hit in the head, boom, so there's a thing, like a, there's a thing, and then there's a tingle that comes right after it, and it goes all into your fingertips. You know, so I remember the first time he hit me, I felt that I was like, oh, wow. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, I, so I, yeah, so I, I learned a big lesson. I, I, I learned a very big lesson that day, that night. Wow. Now, on the other side of this, right, let's uh -huh. talk about all the wins because you got a lot more wins than you do losses. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. What goes through your mind? after you just got that win whether that be a stoppage or a decision well i'm i'm very hard on myself and that's why i'm um i just turned 43 and i'm still boxing and that's why i'm still doing it is because i started this journey you know because i wanted to learn how to box because i wanted to box and i realized that with over 25 i'm about 25 25 amateur fights or 27 amateur fights and 11 pro fights. I've, I've yet to box. I have yet to depict the act of boxing, you know, stick and moving and, and utilizing the sweet science. I've, I've always succumbed to my instincts and, and gone in there and more, more like fought. I fought trying to use the tools that you, that a boxer uses. But if you watch my fights on YouTube, even you realize that, I'm more fighting than I'm boxing. I'm not setting up traps. I'm not timing. You know, I'm not doing step backs. Uh, so now I'm at a point in my career where after every fight, I'd be, even if I won or I lost, I'd be disappointed. I wouldn't be happy. I'd be happy that I won, but I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be impressed or proud of myself because I'm like, okay, I won because I'm more athletic. I'm bigger, mm. uh, happy to be stronger or, you know, but I didn't box, but now I feel like I've learned enough about boxing. I've learned enough about the sweet science and about myself where I'm, I'm able, I think now I'm, I'm going to be able to, um, to show, to showcase some, some real boxing at 43. Wow. And moving on to that, uh -huh. the next fight, can you give us any info on that? Okay. Well, the last time I fought was two years ago. And uh, I haven't been able to fight in two years. Um, and COVID really, really played a big role in this. I had about five, six fights uh, be proposed, contracts signed, and then fall through. Yeah. Um, hence boxing politics. So I have a manager. He works with me uh, under certain capacities. Uh, I don't have a promoter. So right now... I've taken matters into my own hands. So your question was, when is my, my next fight? Well, right now I'm actually selling shirts because uh, in selling shirts, I'm going to be able to back my career, which is going to allow me to get on a fighting card. So if everything goes according to plan, I'm hoping to fight 
uh, hopefully in March, May at the latest, okay. you know? So yeah, so I'm trying to um, promote myself in that sense. Yeah. And, and you've deemed this as, correct me if I'm wrong, the big comeback, right? The final return. Oh, yes. This is the final chapter. Yes. This is the final chapter of my career. This is do or hang up the gloves. Um, no excuses, no reasons. Uh, the fact of the matter is mother, father time waits on no one. Um, the body deteriorates, things change. And at the, uh, again, tender age of 43, um, as much as, as my heart is still young, as much as I still may look uh, youthful, I still recognize and feel certain changes in my body. And to compete on this level, uh, I think uh, this is my final chapter. So this is going to be uh, the last time to support uh, and, to, and to see Boke in the Atomic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so l- let me ask you this. If you, mm-hmm. you know, when, I like to use when, when you win your next fight, right, are you moving on to another fight? until you get that championship you've, you've wanted? Okay, here, here is the plan. The plan is that I did fight hard to get myself at an 8-0. I was 8-0 uh, yep. as a pro. Yep. Uh, now I'm 9-2. and So I still have uh, a good enough record where if I win one, if, when I win my next fight, it'll put me in contention to fight for a possible smaller belt, like a Canadian belt. Okay. I fight for that belt. It puts me in contention to fight for uh, an NABA belt. Okay. I fight that, and it puts me in contention to fight for for a world title. So right now, I'm I'm focused and concentrated on uh, each fight. You know, move me up a ladder to a, a bigger fight to see what's the last push, what's the last hurrah, what can I accomplish. You know, can I attain, achieve my goals? You know, only time and hard work can tell. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I, I know we're getting on close on time here, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to hurry it up here. But okay. um, when you, like I said, I like to use when. When you win these titles and you move on to the, the world stage, you say you win that, when you win that world title, are you hanging it up the first time that you, that belt gets wrapped around your waist? You know what? Another big thing about winning a world title is I feel like when you win a world title, you you have uh, a window in time. You have a voice. And once I have that voice, I want to push my real passion at this point, which has been for a long time, is mental health awareness. I, I, that, that's really... Um, why one of the big motivational factors for boxing is I feel like a lot of people uh, feel like they are aware because they know the word, because they've heard of it before, they think they know, but they, they lack mental health awareness. And when you lack mental health awareness, that's when anxiety takes over. And right now, if you look at the world, the biggest issue in the world, even if even past COVID is anxiety, anxiousness. Anxiousness is derived from a fear of the unknown. People don't know what's going to happen, so the body starts trying to prepare. Fight or flight, you feel anxious. But if you have mental health awareness, you'll realize that taking care of yourself. Anyways, I have a whole, I have a whole, I, I need a voice because I feel like um, 
the globe is people are suffering uh, uh, mental health and it's being glamorized and they're pushing, which is very good. Counseling is very helpful. Therapeutic is all needed. But there's also many things that we could do as citizens with each other, for each other, for ourselves that can help minimize levels of anxiousness. Because the funny thing is, is that people make other people anxious. Because guess what? If anxiety is derived from a fear of the unknown, you don't know what that person is thinking about you. You don't know what they're feeling about you. Mm-hmm. And just not knowing what a person feels about you or thinks about you, when you go into a social setting, that's like social anxiety. People don't want to talk. They get scared. They don't even want to go because they feel anxious. Why? Because they don't know what's going to happen. So you see people minimize mental health and it's destigmatized. But now we need to destigmatize anxiety and depression and when I win that belt and I get that voice, my my passion, I believe, will go towards mental health awareness. But because I am a competitor, if my body is still able to compete and I have uh, an opponent and everything is aligned, I would defend my title until it is time to hang up the gloves. I don't want to fight past when I should fight, but I do want to fight when I can fight. Perfect. I love that. The last thing, I've got three questions I ask every guest on my podcast. Okay. Can I ask them to you? Yep. What qualities do you possess that make you successful? I would say I'm determined. Uh, that's a quality, right? I'm determined, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, I, I'm a passionate man. That's a quality. 100%. And and I'm an honest person, honesty. Honest. I love and let me let me let me circle all those things with the most important binding word. I am a respectful man. I respect people. I think respect when you respect people, it opens the doors for, for real communication and real communication leads to forward movement. Okay. I love that. I love that. What is something that if you could go back in time and tell your younger self that you would? Like, what's something that you'd go back in time to tell your younger self? <laughs> <laughs> I would go back in time and I would tell myself to start boxing a long time ago. Yeah, at a younger age? Yeah. Okay, I love it. I love it. And last question here. What is something that you wish you could tell everyone that you meet? I wish I could tell everybody that that they that they are special, that they are special, and that everybody's different and unique. And just because we we see other people who might have things uh, that we may want, it's most important to identify and to find what we have that may be special that we can work on, uh, that we can concentrate on. And from that point, I believe we can actually have true happiness. Wow! Wow! I love that. I love this episode. Where can people find you? Well, <laughs> I, am, I am working on uh, my mental health awareness company, uh, which is called um, COA, Cortex of Awareness. It's, it's, it's been a project in the works. But right now, uh, if anybody's looking for me, they can find me on Instagram at Bo the Atomic, which is B-E-A-U. The, which is T-H-E, Atomic, A-T-O-M-I-C, Bogey Atomic. Um, 
but that's where I'll be posting my news and information. Uh, but I hope to have my company up and running soon where I can, you know, share mental health awareness. Awesome. And people can buy shirts from you from, uh, from Instagram as well. Well, yes, yes. On Instagram, they can send me a private message. If they're interested in a shirt, they can just send me a private message and I can, I, I, I work with everybody one-on-one, um, give them all the information. Everything is personalized with me. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you very much. Do you have anything that you'd like to ask me? Yeah. Well, how long have you been doing podcasts? And then what do you like about doing podcasts? Um, been doing podcasts now. I think this was six weeks. So I started uh, the last week of December. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the thought in my mind, funny enough, I had uh, an Instagram or sorry, Facebook post that popped up six years ago, mentioning okay. that I wanted to do a podcast. So it was always in my mind. And I was thinking about ways and how to do it. And uh, I found this app. This app is called Anchor. You can record podcasts. Um, you have to do some of the editing outside the app. But luckily enough, I have enough um, technical experience where I can do that. I put it back in the app. I mix it up. um, And then uh, it'll actually render some sounds. So say, for example, if somebody's banging pots in my background, it'll edit that out for me. Right. And uh, I throw it up on the app and then it automatically uploads to Spotify. I've been working with Apple very closely to get the podcast on Apple. Okay. Um, So what what was the last question you had for me? Oh, um, so, so how would you define yourself? Like, what kind of a personality would you say you have? Ooh, um, <laughs> funny enough, I, I would consider myself an outgoing introvert, right? Kind of an oxymoron. Uh-huh. Because uh, I think generally speaking, you know, if, uh, if I'm awake for 12 hours or let's just do 14, I'd be outgoing for 10, right? And the other four hours, I, I barely want to talk to anyone, right? Like I am, I'm the ultimate introvert during that time. I think that alone time is very special for me um, and it's needed. Like you said, I also do meditation. Uh, mm-hmm. Think about my goals. I write them down. Um, okay. but, but generally speaking, outgoing. Um, I, I think nothing in life. I shouldn't say nothing. I don't like to use nothing or everything, but a lot of things in life um, are opportunities and it's up to yourself to, to find that opportunity and, and to, to make the most of it. Right. Okay. And then what do you want people to get from your podcast? Like, like if, what you want them to take from it or, or, or be left with it? If you want people to know your, your podcast, what do you want them to, to say, Oh yeah, Dylan, Dylan has a podcast. It's like this. Like, yeah, so, so my podcast, my vision is, is, is I like to bring on local people from Ontario, uh, and eventually, years down the line, I had three years in mind, I want to expand to Canada, right? And, and I want real people, I want small business owners, I want people who have been through, you know, the works, right? The trenches, they've brought themselves up, or maybe they're in the process of bringing themselves up, maybe they haven't even started that process yet, I want to get real people on here, talk to them and help their journey as much as I can, right? Um, and, and I really think that um, the community uh, is, is helpful by nature, okay. but a lot of it is, is tough to do, especially in today's day and age. You're flooded with so much information that you don't know where to begin, right? So, uh-huh. um, you know, somebody like yourself, a boxer coming in, making a comeback, as you've been saying, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even just buying a T-shirt, that helps out somebody in the community. 
Yeah. Right? That helps their journey. That helps their um their life. And and on top of that, you get a pretty cool T-shirt. Right. So, (laughs) so, so, you know, I I like people to come to this podcast, listen to it and go, wow. You know, uh, I mentioned on episode two, where even if you go to somebody's, let's say like a, um, a restaurant, even if you just go to their Facebook, maybe you don't have the funds to go out and purchase something from the restaurant. You're trying to eat at home, whatever. And you just share one of their posts, right. That can go a long way. Right. Yeah. So, so for me, um, helping local businesses, local people, people in the community um that that's what i want people to get out of this podcast awesome now let my last question is there is there an entertainment aspect or or segments or or, or thing to your podcast like like you know well yeah so so usually what i do is 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 i break it down into who the person is Okay. Right. So that's kind of where you started off and you go, you know, who I am, you know, you're a boxer and you came from here and you moved to here. Right. All that good stuff. Then, you know, where their journey's headed. Right. So you explain a little bit of your past, uh, where you're where you're going and where you want to go. Okay. Right. And then and then I kind of do, like I said, we're a little short on time. So I'd love to have you back at another another time. But I usually do some rapid questions. Right. So a couple of <laughs> rapid questions I had for you was, you know, um, yeah. What's what is is more, um, I, I guess, what, what are you more proud of your first professional win or winning the, the Golden Gloves? Right. And then I have multiple questions along those streams yeah. where we go into and then we go into rapid questions. Right. Yeah, so gotcha. like ice bath or hot bath. Right. Yoga or cold stretching. Right. Do you like to do you prefer the cool down or the warm up? Right. Stuff stuff along that and i try and personalize it the best i can gotcha um and then and then from there you know uh i like this part too where i open it up and say if you have any questions or comments i'm always free right i always love yes to, love to talk about that hell yeah well you answered my questions brother <laughs> perfect man thank you uh like i said i've got a whole sheet two sheets actually of, of things we didn't even touch on so Maybe at a later date, I might have to have you on for a special episode. And uh, hopefully after you win, you win your next fight, when you win your next fight, um, I'll have you on here. Exactly. And, uh, we can go through some of those questions and bring in some more entertainment factor for you. <laughs> um, I mean, no, it's just good. I was just looking at, thinking about your audience. That's all. The entertainment part is like, like what kind of audience you're trying to entertain? Like who are you trying to cater to? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, it really started with, with friends and family, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it started with a couple, a couple friends of mine who go, you know, I, I've been trying to do my best. Like uh, one of the businesses I manage, we do a, a, a food drive every okay. Christmas, right? And, and it actually started because this year we didn't exactly have the opportunity to because COVID and, and everything like that. And, and I started going, well, what can I do for next year? Right? How can I grow a bigger audience? How can we get more food to this community? Yeah. Right. And somebody goes, we'll start a podcast. And I'm going, I don't know anything about podcasting. Right. I don't know. I don't have any real, um, you know, particular special skills that make me stand out from somebody. Yeah. And, and one of my buddies goes, we well, you know a lot of people and you're in the community a lot. So why don't you just start asking people? And then it, the idea just came from there. I but, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're pretty audience is pretty much anybody who's who's looking to support anybody who's interested in. And who's doing something in the community? Pretty you much. Okay. Yep. Yep. Like uh, next episode, I have on a financial advisor. This is somebody who's helped me 
tremendously, even just with knowledge. I mean, obviously with finances as well. Yeah. And, and I think uh, everybody can learn, but especially younger people, right? They don't, yeah. they don't teach. Like I, I just turned 25 and they don't teach a lot of finance in school. Right. Exactly. So yeah. here I am at, you know, uh, 11 PM on a Saturday and I'm looking up finance videos and all, all it takes is a, a 10 or 15 minute phone call with my friend Megan, who's coming on next week. And uh-huh. he helped me out tremendously, right? Like the amount yeah. of hours that I had to put in to get the same knowledge out of a 10 minute phone call is just mind boggling. Right? Agreed. Yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect, man. Thank you. Uh, I can't, I can't appreciate you enough. Right. Um, after this episode's done, I'm going to have a little segue and I'm going to talk about how our, my listeners here, I guess our listeners for this episode, um, can get one of your shirts for free. Perfect. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, brother, and have a good rest of the day. You too. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed episode number four with Aboken. So, I mentioned I will be doing a big giveaway. That's right, guys, I will. I will be giving away two of his t-shirts. All right, here's what you guys have to do to enter to win one of his shirts. You guys have to go to the Optical View podcast and like the Facebook page. If you're already liked, that's easy, already done. Then what you guys have to do, this episode itself from Facebook all right, if you don't have a Facebook account, go and make one for this. It will be worth it. All right, guys, go and share the episode. It's going to say episode number four of the um, Optical View podcast. And you're going to share that. Everybody who shares that will be entered in to win one of his T-shirts. Now, guys, these T-shirts are high quality. I saw them. I saw them make. They are beautiful. Right, If you want to purchase one, you guys are welcome to head on over to his Instagram. Right, he's already thrown some photos up, and uh, he's going to start selling them very shortly to support and to continue to support his journey. So, to enter in those T-shirts, once again, like the Optical View Facebook page, right, and share the actual episode of episode number four. That's it, guys. I'm going to take everybody's name in a hat and draw them. Extra thing here, guys. If you guys just want to wear them as a T-shirt, that's perfectly good. That's what they're designed for. They are high quality. If you guys want to get them signed by a Boken, right? I'll be contacting the winners when they win. You guys just let me know. All right, guys. Thanks again. Uh, Once again, like and share. And I can't wait for the next one. See you guys then. Thanks for listening, guys. Please don't forget to like and share this. I'm trying to get this to everybody, uh, any person that you know in Ontario, Canada, um, or anybody that you know comes to Ontario, Canada. I uh, I want to really highlight businesses and people who are in the area. Thanks, guys. Don't forget, like and share and comment, and I'll see you next time. Peace.